Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can learn more about our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. Okay, so today on the show, I speak with Indy Rishi Singh about the Indian Farmers Protest. Now, some of you may be aware of what is happening in and around New Delhi, But despite the fact that this issue literally impacts hundreds of millions of people, it has generally been featured below the fold in the Western news media. So hopefully this conversation can create more awareness. Indy is an Indian-American thinker, writer, and healer. He is the co-founder of Democracy, a platform that incentivizes civic engagement through gamification. He recently wrote an article for Medium titled, What's Happening in India?, and his family still has an operating farm in Punjab. So Indy and I speak about the scale and history of farming in India and how the new farm bills passed by the Modi government have led to the biggest protests in human history. We explore the role of social media and influencers who have now gotten into the mix, and we discuss how these protests reflect a broader international tug-of-war between globalism and neoliberalism, and populism. And we're even treated to a little Indian flute music. So I I hope you enjoy my conversation with Indy Rishi Singh. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. you for coming on the commune podcast good to see you likewise i, I would like to just say <laughs> can i can that just be my introduction right there instead of you know who i am what i do just just play the bansudi is that okay uh, <laughs> that will certainly be a first but i am I'm, I'm willing to uh to take a chance here I, fig- um, I figured we're going to be speaking about something so intricate and so convoluted. We might as well start with some harmony because <laughs> before we dive into the complexities, you know? Yeah, yeah, indeed. I, I do appreciate that because, um, and feel free to to bring that out uh, at any time through our conversation if thing gets, things get a little too heavy and convoluted because uh, I certainly think that the door needs to be somewhat ajar for for some levity in 2021. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So we're primarily here today to talk about the Indian farmers protest. And uh, I guess I'd say with all the news surrounding American politics and the impeachment trial and and whatnot, um, this issue which impacts literally hundreds of millions of people um, has been somewhat cascaded to the periphery of, of the news cycle. So uh, very appreciative of your efforts um, to bring it more front and center and to, to garner some awareness to it. So thank you for that. 
Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you also for holding space here. I have to acknowledge you for being a leader. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are not sure what how to hold space for this. And I, I think you're you showing up in this way is saying a lot about you um, as well and showing up and, and holding space about this conversation because we don't know what's right or wrong, but having the conversation is is what leaders do. So thank you for doing that. Well, thanks for saying that. I'm appreciative of that and, and certainly of your you know, your persistent efforts to, to bring more awareness to it, you know, particularly bring it um, more squarely onto my radar. And um, like I, we just discussed before we pressed record, uh, I certainly am very ignorant to the, to the nuances um, of this particular issue, but uh, I've committed to, to learning about it. And I think once people, once listeners make the effort to begin to learn about it, you can't uh, ignore it because, it, like I said, it, it does impact um, so many people. And, you know, I, I know that this, that these protests have, have personal resonance um, for you because I believe your family still operates a, a farm in, in Punjab. Um, and, you know, you, you undoubtedly have personal insight into the lived experience of farmers in India. And uh, I think that that's going to be really important to get into because while there's sort of a macroeconomic discussion to be had here, um, you know, like I said, this, this is in, impacting you know, millions of people on the ground. Uh, but I think before, you know, we can, we get into that, maybe we, we can zoom out and, and talk about India um, more broadly for a moment because you know like many listeners to be honest I, I wasn't aware of the scale of this issue um in, until recently so uh, you know i'll just kind of recite a few just broad demographic cliff notes <laughs> and then um and then maybe we can just kind of get into the the blood and guts of it a bit so india is the second most populated country in the world at last count i believe there's somewhere approaching 1.4 billion people um, and the society remains heavily agricultural mm -hmm. um, i've seen a variety of different statistics um, you know and i've tried to balance the different statistics that i've seen <laughs> that I, i've seen you know the number 53 percent jumps out quite a bit which is you know pointing to the idea that you know 53 percent of the people in india um make their living derive their primary income from agriculture so either they're an agricultural worker or they're actually cultivating the land themselves um, and so we're talking to the scale of you know 600 million 650 million people um you know for uh and Jeff, you have yeah. to also you have to also include that's like the people who are registered, right? Like how many there might be so many rural people who might be indigenous or might be off that off the radar. Of that. Right. Yeah. And just for you know any kind of comparison, you know the United States has three hundred thirty million people more or less in total, mm -hmm. and two percent of Americans derive their income from farming. So you know we're talking about a completely different kind of economy and, and, and situation. Um, 
And then from a governmental structure perspective, um, since 2014, Narendra Modi has been the prime minister. He is the leading member of a right-wing party called the BJP, which has been generally um, referred to as a, as a Hindu nationalist party. There's a lot of, um, obviously, there's a lot of history about the BJP and where it came from, and we can perhaps talk about that. But, but Je- Jeff, before we do the right-wing, left-wing thing, I, I don't know why these days I'm starting to feel like less inclined to like even like even like look at things that way because it just, it seems that like there is, it's not even a right wing thing. There's like, there is actually the philosophy is, is mentally ill. It's like the, what they're operating on isn't even a philosophy. It's like a mental illness, you know, that they're operating on. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that sort of notions of neoliberalism haven't been monopolized by the right or the left. They've been adopted in many ways by both sides. Um, but I think it's fair to say that Modi kind of came in with this idea of like, we're going to modernize the Indian economy. We're going to privatize it. Um, and as part of that effort, um, last September, the government passed three farm bills, which would essentially overhaul the decades long system that has been in place and provided some degree of, of security, um, nebulous security for for farmers um, in India. And the passage of these three bills have led to mass protests, mm-hmm. um, including kind of the erection of these massive protest camps uh, on the highways surrounding um, New Delhi, the capital. But I guess before we get into the, the protests and the nature of themselves and these new laws, I, I wonder if you could take a little bit of time to describe the ground conditions of how the Indian farming system works now and has worked over, over decades. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, uh, it, we, we, as I've been learning and understanding more about this and trying to be more educated about it, I've, I've come to the realization that the international farming and industrial system is quite connected. You know, actually, when India first, you know, got independence from England, which that's a whole other story in itself. We could talk about how, you know, England totally left India um, in a really bad state um, and separating it too into pa- Pakistan and Bangladesh and separating Punjab, which was the most fertile part of India and, and actually literally cutting a line in, in it was created a, a, a Holocaust in India. A lot of people don't know. Millions of people died. My, some of my family lost their land overnight because, um, because of that partition, which was actually, or it was divide and conquer, you know, at its finest. And, but what ended up happening is after that, India was very food insecure. Um, a lot of people were poor. You know, England had distracted a lot of resources. So like poverty was rampant in India. So they had to figure out a way to feed everybody. And that's when the rock, I think it was like Rockefeller, the Rockefeller organization, Ford Foundation. So a few American organizations brought this green revolution, (laughs) like great marketing. They brought a green revolution to India um, in, in the and then with the intention to modernize at that time, like the 60s, 70s, to kind of like push um, modern farming practices, which actually ended up, you know, bringing a lot of pesticides, a lot of, you know, chemical, um, chemical fertilizers, um, and actually degraded the land. In in fact, you know, my family's land is kind of like half of it's messed up now because of the practices done by the farm that's next to it, right? Um, Which was because of this green revolution. But 
the Green Revolution also did this thing where it kind of overproduced um, just a couple of uh, couple of crops, right? I think it was wheat and rice. It's like overproduced it. And so everybody kind of like started leaning that way and uh, and it kind of took away everybody's normal practices. And my mom used to tell me that they used to grow so much more sugarcane. They used to have a lot more like diversity in the food um, in Punjab. And then when the Green Revolution happened, diversity went out the window. So we got to understand that that Green Revolution was actually a Western influence, right? It was a Western influence. And mind you, as I've been studying this more and more, Jeff, I'm like, wait. We, the farmers in America protested that too, back in 70, I think it was 78, they had a tractor rally. Do you know about that? I, I'm not aware, no, but. <laughs> there was a tractor that. rally where thousands of tractors like took over DC. This was like in 1978 and they, they, they were trying to fight the same thing. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I'm sure that many people in India are looking at America and Europe as, um as a, you know, potential future models for India. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned, you know, 2% of Americans derive, you know, their income from farming now, but that wasn't always the case because mm-hmm. over the last, you know, couple generations, there've been massive consolidation uh, in the, in the kind of propping up of, of big ag. I think it's kind of worth saying that I think the average American farm is based on a plot of land that's 450 acres average. And then, of course, there's like these mega farms. But in India, you know, I think the average farm is like three or four acres. So it's mostly individual families um, farming their own land. And I think that this is at the core of, of probably like a, decent policy debate um, of like, is that a tenable long-term plan for a country that has to feed 1.3 billion people with a a leader that wants to quote unquote, you know, modernize. And there's probably plenty of good faith conversations to be had about um, (laughs) policy, but that's kind of as normal. (laughs) We've veered away from policy (laughs) into some more dangerous kind of political <laughs> and religious territories but uh, sorry to take you kind of off off oh right. no i mean i'm i, I really i'm glad, glad you put that into reference because for me also you know I, i'm I'll, I'll keep i'll keep telling the story but you know what's important about this story is to understand is that as i've been also looking into like what's going on with farmers unions here I, sorry jeff you know i have to acknowledge i'm indian but i'm also american like i'm not i'm like both right so i can't I feel hypocritical like these days for the past few months, I've been feeling very hypocritical caring about what's happening in India, but at the same time, not caring about what's happening in my own backyard here in America. And as I started researching, I'm like, I'm finding all this like articles and like interviews of farmers unions here in America, wishing they had the solidarity that the farmers in India had. They were like, we wish we were that together here because they're not, they're getting taken advantage of rural communities in America are like getting obliterated, you know, as we speak. So what the farmers in India are fighting for in India, we've already lost in America. So that's for us to acknowledge, you know? Um, Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So I I know from the, the sort of uh, relatively superficial research that I've been able to do that there, for a long time, there's been these systems of, uh, and you'll have to correct my pronunciation if I get it wrong, which are like mundis, right? Which are these kind of um, government-run wholesale operations that oh, Jeff, are... 
Jeff, we're going to have to go there one day. They're so fun. Yeah. <laughs> There's so <laughs> much energy in those places. It's so great. So as I understand it, these are kind of markets that are local and, um, and they buy directly, well, somewhat indirectly from farmers. Now there's a level of brokers in between, which reeks like the mob to me though. I don't really know, but, uh, cause I, 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 but essentially what I, from what I understand is that there are some minimum pricing standards that these mundis set. So, and it's not like they provide great riches for the farmers, but what they do create is at least a degree of predictability where a small farmer can project their income because they know if they produce X amount of wheat, that they'll be able to sell it to the Mundi for X amount. Now that's also sold like through a broker who's skimming probably off the top in different ways. And, um, but they, these new farm bills or laws um, are really upending that system and, and opening up agriculture to more private interests um they're also kind of right. taking the 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 lid off the amount of um grain for example that you could stockpile yeah. so there would be more ability for big actors to come in and influence um pricing etc so maybe kind of unpack a little bit of that of like what's how, how are these farms been operating and how do these laws really threaten the way of life so we can kind of get our heads inside the the Indian farmer a bit? I mean, I mean, first of all, we have to acknowledge that these farmers are not like crazy educated, right? They're not like, they don't have like law degrees or have connections. Um, really, it puts them at it puts them at risk to be run over by the free market. Like they're trying to create a free market and you know, we can go, that's a whole nother discussion. I'm sure you've had that talk about free market. If that's a real legit thing. Right. Um, but yeah. really what this does is kind of puts these farmers who are just like, they're just like, you know, they've just been doing this for years and generations. And all of a sudden now they're at whim to the free market where they, they can be exploited. I mean, the Monday system, it wasn't great that great itself too, I have to admit. I mean, it was supporting them kind of, but you know, actually, you know, I would love to reference and if people can, they, they're welcome to research this. There was a thing that came out in 2004. It was actually the government, by the way, mind you, Jeff, the government actually had the idea of the Monday system. So it's like, it's their own idea, right? It's not something that the farmers did on their own, but there's a thing called the Swami Natham report, which was uh, a commission that was paid for by the government in 2004. And that actually like detailed, I mean, it had economists, farmers, everybody was involved, all, like, farmers, and they actually like detailed how the Monday system could be improved and how also they can like, they can like, create a system that is also better for the soil and better for the climate and better for the irrigation system. I and mean, they did a whole amazing report that's been ignored. 2004, it's been 16 years. Nobody has ref like that. A government has not acknowledged it at all. Even they've been bringing it up during this protest. Complete not acknowledged. I mean, the government paid for it, right? It's like a commission. So to, to acknowledge that's really interesting to understand that right now, as we speak to a part of these protests is a climate protest too, because, you know, India is going to be going through a lot of migration issues with like climate change, right? So a part of these protests also 
are a climate issue because, you know, if you don't irrigate these things, well, if you don't do soil regeneration, if you don't do these practices and you keep using fertilizer and you keep getting bigger corporations coming in and having bad practices of soil practice, I mean, it's going to affect, in the long run, it's going to affect everyone. So yeah, the Monday system might be corrupt. And, you know, it's really tricky because there are people arguing for these laws that are like, oh, this is a great improvement. And they kind of are right in some places, but not right in some places because the farmers that the farmers don't have the thing is like they don't have the bandwidth right like if 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 a couple of seasons they don't get support they're done right and that's why the suicides are happening that like they don't have the ability that the upper class has you know to like last a few seasons yeah or the collective leverage you know in in bargaining um you know particularly once there starts to be more and more consolidation, if you're just a, you know, small farmer, you know, cultivating your individual land on, on three acres, it, it's hard to, you know, throw your weight around. Um, so, and I think it's, it's, it seems as if many these laws were passed without a lot of input from the farmers or the farm farmers unions themselves now subsequently since the protests i think you know there've been a series of of meetings between the government and farmers unions that haven't yielded great results but at least people are sitting um, around the table trying to hammer out some of these issues Unfortunately, while people have been trying to hammer out some of these issues, some really difficult situations have presented themselves. So I think it's, so the laws were passed in September and then fast forward, I think to the end of November, there was a sort of a massive workers' strike. Um, and then that subsequently led to, I think the, the visual that, that many of us have now, which are you know, hundreds of thousands of people migrating to New Delhi and setting up these protest camps um, around the, the the toll highways uh, on, around the periphery of New Delhi, which has kind of choked um, traffic in, in and out of New Delhi. And these protests, I mean, these camps are have like their own functioning infrastructure it's now that's like you know what's crazy jeff it's like at first off just to give everybody reference that's like imagine washington dc was surrounded and they wouldn't let anybody into dc right which kind of now they're doing anyways but like they weren't letting anybody into dc and they surrounded it and they and they like and basically what's it turned into is it's like an autonomous burning man for farmers <laughs> and not just farmers but what's happening is that you know it's no money is being exchanged in these places but people are being fed um the houseless people like you know all the like untouchables they're like all getting like and they're all getting education and medical and like it's like like i mean it doesn't get shared enough by the national media because the internet has been shut down like so when we talk about some of the weird stuff going on here like jeff you know one of the one of the struggles i have is i like want to always believe in the best in people right and so i see this and i'm like okay fine maybe india that maybe maybe the bgp has some maybe they had some ideas okay i'll give them the best credit but like the very fact that they're shutting out internet, right? And they're like blocking, they're like, they're like disrupting farmers' ability to feed themselves like and have peaceful protests. They're like, all these different weird things are happening. It's like, you don't need to do that if you're in the right, right? Like if you are, what you're doing is 
for a just cause, you don't need to do those things. Only you'd only want to block the internet because you don't want people to know what's actually happening there, right? Which is which is incredible unity, right? For the first time ever, Jeff, the, the the farmers and the laborers are actually coming together. There's actually the phrase they've been using is Kisan Majdur Ekta Zindabad, right? Which is like that's the chant, right? That's been going, which is which actually translates to farmer, farmer, laborer, unity, uh yeah, long live farmer labor unity, <laughs> which is like incredible because it's like, okay, it's br- it's bringing the people who are very poor, right? Who have been like kind of like used as slave labor and like all kinds of stuff for ye- for generations, right? As a caste system and a class system, they're finally getting a voice. And the farmers also are like, wait, we need you guys too. And we're together and we're the same and they're coming together, which is a very powerful movement if we think about it just on a global scale too, for us to understand, you know, what's going on with that. Yeah, and particularly, I think the geometry of it, it, the political geometry of it, is interesting because obviously, as you've seen over the last ten years globally, there has been a rise of populism on one side versus kind of the globalist forces of global elitism on the other side, and in some cases. Um, there has been a sort of strange allegiance between authoritarian leaders and populism. We've seen that um, in the United States, obviously, with, with President Trump and to some degree with Bolsonaro. But I, uh, in India, this is a, a an actual populist revolution, if you would call it that, that is actually true to its ideals and um, and, and not this, and seems to be in stark opposition with actual globalist nationalist <laughs> ideology um, on the other side. So I, I think, I, you know, there's something that feels very hopeful right. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, you know, the Modi government is, is very, very popular and has a tremendous amount of entrenched power. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, Modi in the elections won by a legitimate landslide, honestly. So um, so he has the support of a lot of people. And, you know, it, it's also, um, you know, India is, a, I believe, 80 percent Hindu country. Um, so and obviously Modi is highly aligned with with that. So. But so if we. It seems like the nature of these protests, which the government sort of more or less allowed in some form for a little while, um, that coexistence has really broken down since Republic Day um, and the protests that happened on Republic Day. So can you maybe articulate a little bit kind of what happened um, that anybody can actually know what happened. You know, so, you know, one of the things we have to acknowledge, first of all, with that is, is how most of the media um, in India is actually, they're calling it Godi media, right? But I mean, I don't think Godi, we have to, we always have to be careful about like pinning anything on one person, you know, he's got his thing and his legacy or whatever it is, but it's more the corporate interest, right? There's more, you know, as we know, Jeff, we can have a whole discussion on oligarchical power and how 
it's you know it's more powerful than national power at this point right um and so that's kind of what's been kind of driving the the conversation on mo- mainstream media networks in india um but uh, I think it's important to kind of like, I, I always advocate to people kind of like go down the rabbit hole of looking at people on the ground, like go and see what's happening with social media of like people, like like uh, journalists who are popping up who are not on the mainstream channels, but they're like, they're, they're um, grassroots journalists, right, that are sharing what's going on on the ground. And what actually, from that perspective, from people on the ground, the Howard Zinn perspective, <laughs> um, what was found was that there were agent provocateurs that um, provoked um, violence uh, on both sides. They provoked the police, and then they provoked the protesters. And then, and then some of them actually went and did some weird activity at the Red Fort, which was like, not advocated by the leaders of the farmers' protest. There was there's several different leaders that have been kind of taken the front from different religious backgrounds, and they weren't. They were like, "Don't do any of this stuff." And then people still did it, and then those people disappeared. Like, and was like, "Whoa!" And like, even, you know, I was just listening to an interview this morning from like a older, you know, grandpa who was saying, "Yeah, there were some weird people. We don't even know who they were." And then they left, and they like they threw rocks, they threw tear gas, and then they like left. So. There is definitely agent provocateurs happening a lot. I'm I'm getting I'm getting agent provocateurs in my clubhouse conversations about this. I'm getting agent provocateurs like coming into like online digital conversations like the, and it's like they don't even show their face or anything, but they come in and say some propaganda and like it's been really interesting, Jeff, to see how there's an organized actual aspect of this of of agent provocateur, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, kind of the mainstream narrative around Republic Day, and, and I, I just bring that up because it does seem like an inflection point that changed the narrative from a kind of conversation, a legitimate conversation about policy and macroeconomics to now a sort of power play that's very political and even religious in, in context. And, and this is where it can become sort of very, very dangerous and and divisive. So as far as I understand it, there was a a protest scheduled um, and all the permits had been applied Mm -hmm. for legitimately and granted and um, where farmers were going to come into New Delhi and protest peacefully and some of whom were driving their (laughs) tractors. Um, And there were... There were soup tractors with like audio systems bumping music, you know, it was like very, very, like you gotta remember these farmers, I come from that background, we celebrate, <laughs> like when we have, we yeah. ce- when we protest, our protests are celebrations, right? They're not like, it's not a bunch of anger, right? So keep that yeah. in mind. Well, yeah. And I also, you know, don't want to, uh, to undermine the, the seriousness of, of the issue, but I've seen a lot of the video of the camps and, you know, obviously people are there for a, a very, very serious and legitimate reason. But there also does seem, like you say, to be quite a bit of celebration and, you know, um, and, and thought song and, and just, yeah. you know, community building, you know. So, um, but so on Republic Day, which I believe is the day that commemorates the Constitution in India, um, there was some form of mis- miscommunication um, around the nature of the protest and the timing of when it was supposed to start or whatever. I don't, I, obviously I don't have a lot of window into the details, but let's just say that it, 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 it degraded into violence and there were a number of people hurt. I think there was at least one person killed. 
Um, you know, there was the deploying of, of tear gas and other sorts of. Um, they, they also, Jeff, they also shut down the internet right in the morning. Like that farmers are actually using the internet to like communicate where to go and all this stuff. And they shut it down at the beginning mm-hmm. of that. That was kind of weird, you know? Yeah. Well, that's obviously going to result in chaos. And then as you brought up, there was an incident at the Red Fort um, where, which is a, you know, a, a very revered monument in New Delhi that was, quote unquote, supposedly uh, besieged. And um, there was a report of a red flag, I believe, being hoisted above it. It was, which, it was actually, it was actually the, the, the Sikh flag. The Sikh, the Sikh flag. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, which, and mind, it, which, mind you, Jeff, they have hoisted there before on other days because the Sikhs have actually saved India in the past. Like they've literally <laughs> saved India. So it's like weird that they're like, why did you guys put that up there? It's like, you guys have put it up yourselves before. <laughs> right. It, it, it just in this particular case, I, it seems to have been leveraged to give the government some degree of ability to sort of crack down. Right. And, um, and in the wake of this this particular protest like i said it seems like that the that the dialogue has really changed and now it has become um something way more political and then also religious mm-hmm. and because of the sensationalism of violence and the images associated with it it has emerge more into kind of the international news scape right. and um and in the new york times and cnn and rihanna, other- rihanna. Well, so this is where i'm going where <laughs> is rihanna then saw read an article on cnn um she saw an article on cnn i assume she read it and <laughs> she sent what in- initially seemed to be um you know, a pretty harmless tweet, which was like, you know, uh, something like, why are we not talking about this? Um, And uh, maybe you can describe what happened in the aftermath of this tweet, because it seems ridiculous that this would make a difference, but she has a hundred million followers or so. And, um, and this unleashed a wave of social media terror, (laughs) perhaps uh, (laughs) never seen before. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because there are effigies of hers being burned in India. And she, I think there's an FIR that Indian government has filed a lawsuit against her. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, it's like it's almost comical because it's like it, it, it's 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 once again, it's kind of showing the reality of the situation that like if somebody like Rihanna can affect like it just it just shows the skin is very like so, like the skin is very um very like exposed right of like of these cats and 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 also kind of says like what what are they really afraid of they're afraid of attention afraid of awareness right and and what I, when they, when i say they i don't want to be like us because i really do believe in the interconnectedness thing of things i think you know ultimately 
oligarchical powers, they want to keep their control and they don't want people to recognize that, hey, there is something of unity about this. There's something of awareness, right? Because that also then, that empowers these these workers and these farmers and indigenous people to come together even more because they're like, look, Rihanna's saying this and look, we got the backing of whoever else, right? A Juju, yeah. Juju. Smith Schuster met posted something, right? Juju, Juju of the Steelers. And, you know, so, you know, I think all of these things have, uh, you know, they have this invariable effect of empowering those who are already showing up. Um, and, and that's kind of what the, what like corporate greed kind of fears is people coming together to take care of each other, right? Like that's, that's actually, in my opinion, that's kind of where I feel this is what's kind of happening is we're seeing in India how people can take care of each other without the government. Right. And like, that's very powerful stuff. Right. And that's not being shared enough on mainstream media, in my opinion, too, Jeff, I must admit, I've been trying to be like, why hasn't Google, why does this show up on Google? Right. Search. Why doesn't it show up on like on mainstream media outlets as much? I'm like, wait, that's because like we here are so separated in America. Like, imagine if we started taking care of each other here the way the Indians are right now. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it it would be. And. Yeah, I think, you know, again, it kind of goes back to this, um, you know, trying to frame this in my head because it's not completely disconnected from, you know, the this notion of the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum and all, all of this stuff that's going on. It, there seems to be a general consensus that, you know, going back to normal after the pandemic has sort of like shaken up the snow globe, it is not really a viable solution. I mean, we were going, you know, the, the, the sort of global vehicle was careening off of a cliff in every single kind of facet of human organization from, you know, climate change being perhaps the most obvious one, but certainly, you know, income inequality uh, being another one. And, you know, here you see a, a, a protest movement that is true to its kind of roots yeah. and has these elements of, like you say, of community care. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it, it gets us scratching our head of like, well, what is the vision of the world that is the most sustainable? Is it one that is globalized and corporatized and mechanized and um or is it one that is more local and um you know things that you know i have certainly reflected upon sort of just in my own life over the course of quarantine and the pandemic and i think a lot of people have are like i'm cooking more at home i'm inside my family unit i'm spending more time in my own local place with my neighbors to the degree that I can see them masked. I'm not getting on an airplane. I'm not getting in a car. Um, I'm living honestly just a more local life. And there have been reprioritizations that I've had to think through of like, you know, what makes life worthwhile in the first place and how to, you know, what's approaching 10 billion people coexist on a planet, you know? And, uh, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, but then that gets, you know, conflated with, 
you know, ideas of the great reset of like, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And, you know, we can't eat meat anymore and we can't get on airplanes anymore. And that gets sort of associated with, with elitist corporate authoritarian overreach. And, yeah. and these issues are incredibly nuanced and complicated to, to think yeah. through. And, and it seems like what's happening in and around New Delhi right now is this, it's a, uh, it's just putting a microscope to to a lot of these issues. And and you know and that thanks for bringing that kind of like bringing it full circle there. You know too. You know being American and being Indian, I'm like trying to like also show up in my own community now even more. I was I've always been super hyperactive with my local community and volunteering and being active, but now I'm leaning in even harder because I'm like, what's going on with our farmers? Like what's in my own backyard? How are the farmers being treated? How are the workers being treated? How is our food system working? Like are we are we actually in our own backyards? Are we regenerative or are we you know extractive right i'm starting to like pay attention to my own backyard but at the same time you know with what's going on in india you know we have to also recognize something like this interesting phenomenon right where the people who have been subjugated for so long right the lower castes right they are finally having a voice right they finally have a movement that gives them a voice um which is really interesting because if you don't give them a holistic voice, uh, maybe holistic is not the right word. If you don't give them a, a voice embedded in integrity, they're going to then follow a despot, right? We've seen that in social psychology throughout generations, right? That like, if you don't take care of the rural people, you don't take care of the subjugated people, eventually they will follow dictators or despots. Like it happens over and over. We're seeing it in our own country in America, right? So we kind of need to lean in more, right? Rather than like being like, oh, those people are crazy. I don't believe them. They're like, they don't, they're not ready for modernization. They're not ready for like technology. They're not ready. I'm just like, wait, hold up. <laughs> like, what if those people actually have different needs than we do? And we have to acknowledge their needs. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an excellent point. And, and maybe you could take a moment to actually bring this back into a, an element of lived experience um, because I think it's one thing for us to kind of explore the macroeconomic and, and kind of global philosophical components of this sort of thing. But then there's a, the whole another level of like really what it is like, you know, on the ground to be uh, in, a, a farmer in India and, and particularly set against the, the, the context of the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, which um, has forced a lot of people back out of cities and into rural communities. Um, there's already sort of kind of economic contraction and uh, an in- inability to, to find jobs. So, you know, there does seem to be sort of a, a, an inverse demographic um, movement there that has, you know, made this problem even more acute. But you know, maybe you could just talk a little bit about like, what's it like to be on the ground and what's happening and what kind of trauma and, and other things that, that people are having to go through? Yeah. I mean, you know, once again, we kind of have to like understand the lived experience coming up. Like I have to acknowledge my mom and my father, right? Like what they had to go through growing up, you know, having to experience partition in India, right? Having to like my dad's entire family completely got their land robbed from them and taken from them and given to Pakistani authorities, right, who didn't end up doing anything with that land, right? Um, And so um, there's that lived experience that happened. And then, like, my mom's family has had that in generations, but for generations. But at the same time, like, 
up until you know you know up until like up until like the 70s like 60s 70s they were like they're fine they were making their ways but then the green revolution happened in india which started to once again kind of like create that environment where people were once again being taken advantage of to to produce right rather than to like live it was like okay are you producing and um i, I had some cousins and uncles that committed suicide right because of that so um because of the pressure because they couldn't like they couldn't you know, they couldn't even like, they couldn't even pay for their kids' weddings or they couldn't pay for their, I mean, it was like, it's, it's, it's a, it's a humbling thing, right? Like, um, when you can't take care of yourself because of the requirements, um, that the, that the system is asking of you. Where do we go from here? Because, you know, the images that I've started to see and granted, you know, I'm looking, you know, at, at a lot of mainstream outlets in order to get the, the content, um, that I need. Um, but I'm starting to see, you know, the big barricades and barbed wire and and images that that look um, pretty scary. And you know, um, stimulate other um, images of history that ha- hasn't ended well. Um, so, um, and there seems to be, you know, look crackdowns again with the internet so it's creating chaos because people can't communicate with each other um so what are your worries here kind of in in the next few weeks and and months and then to be honest like is there anything that that people can do um you know to help and, and to to bring you know, more awareness, I guess, to, to what's happening there. Yeah. I mean, thanks for asking that, Jeff, you know, it, it, it yeah. Worries. I, I, I've been watching my mom for the past couple of months, like lose weight, you know, and, you know, she went through, she was, she was, you know, she was in her thirties, forties when the 84 genocide happened. So, you know, she's still, she's still very worried. You know, they, you know, the government, the Indian government went in with tanks into our temple, like in, like on the temple and, sh- and like slaughtered women, children, grandparents, you know, this is just an 84 and that was blacked out by the international media. Right. Um, and so, um, I think, you know, that's, that's definitely a fear is, uh, when you vilify any community enough, you can, you, you can do whatever you want. And, and the way that you said they're building these things, it looked like, you know, they're, you have to understand what they're doing. So all the farmers and all the laborers are joining more and more people are more and more people are trying to join. So what the government has done is they've literally created this two concentric, like uh, they created a wall, not letting them come into Delhi. And then they created a wall on the outside of the protest. So no more people can't join the protest from the outside. So, so people are trapped. Yes. And, and they're trying to also like limit their ability to get water, food, right? Like, cause, cause farmers have food. So they're like, so, you know, like when you say even like, what can we donate? People have been asking me, oh, we want to donate like thousands of dollars. And I'm like, well, they don't need it. Like, as I've been talking to people on the ground, like they actually, the farmers are taking care of each other, right? All across India. So, but the problem now is that they're not even letting it get through, right? They're blocking it. So they're blocking water, toilets. I mean, they're, they're now the farmers starting to build their own toilet. I mean, this crazy stuff is going on in that sense. So basically they're building ghettos, right? For these farmers and protesters. And so that's a big human rights violation. Um, in, in my opinion, I mean, that's not democratic at all. And I mean, 
I, so that being said, obviously I, I can't articulate, you know, we know, um, I, I remember I forgot who wrote that poem back in Germany when he said it, first they came for the socialist and they came for, remember, do you remember that poem? Like you know, this, this makes me think about that. Right. It's like, wow. Like, you know, I don't think anybody is safe when that stuff is happening, but, um, anyways, um, so that's my worry with that. Okay. Um, how we can support, see money is not, money is not the important thing right now. Right. Like it's not going to help right now. It's in my opinion, obviously everybody has different opinions. I I've been donating. My family's been involved with an organization that's for years has been supporting farmers, families of farmers who commit suicide. That's like a long, good night, nice long-term help, but still it's, it's okay. Right. Like we want to do something impactful now. I think, you know, what Rihanna did was kind of showed, right. Like that awareness is big. Right. And not just awareness, but like, like Jeff, what you're doing right now, like conversations, like discussing stuff, like, you know, um, explaining that these are civil rights. These are human rights that are being taken away from people, right? Forget about the farm laws, forget about the politics, forget, like we got to, like sometimes when we talk about the politics, I've been, I've been getting trolls coming after me online. I'm like, I'm not, I don't care about that. I care like about people's right to like do basic things, right? Be able to speak their voice, be able to come together in unity and community. Um, so we do need to think, yeah, there's like, uh, there's people who are writing to like their legislation here, like, you know, congressmen trying to get them to talk. But once again, I got to say, it's having the conversations, getting, you, Jeff, getting influencers, right? Like what Rihanna did, she's an influencer, right? Look how scared India got. Like they showed us already what they're scared of, right? So all we have to do is lean in more. Like, how, can we get more influencers, if not taking a stand, at least having the conversation and raising more awareness? Hey, you know, by the way, Jeff, I don't even mind if we brought in a pro Modi person and had a conversation. I don't mind because the thing is the truth will always reveal itself. Those who are scared of that, they won't show themselves. Right. But like we, we do need to have conversations that show where the shadows are. And to be honest with you, like I, I've been struggling also Jeff with like, why hasn't the spiritual community stepped up? Right. Like, you know, I I've been a part of the spiritual community for years, yoga community, spiritual community, Kundalini community. So many people are not actually, I mean, the Sikh community is, at the precipice of a genocide, the Sikh community. We wouldn't have Kundalini if it wasn't for the Sikh community. We wouldn't have yoga if it wasn't for the Sikh community. And we're, we're actually asking, we're calling on people to step up right now and to give us a louder voice and not just us, but human rights, a louder voice. Food sovereignty, food justice, ecological justice, social justice. I mean, this is gender equality. I mean, you you know, three of the girl. There's been three um uh, uh three activists who have been arrested in India. One of them, one of them, one of them is a climate activist. Okay, she just got recently arrested by the India. She's twenty one. Why is a twenty one year old girl? Why are they so scared of a twenty one year old girl? Right. Um. And, uh, another one is a Dalit lawyer. She's been like, and she's like, Dalits are like the the untouchables, right? So she's been arrested, and she's been like totally like no deep core, right? And the other one is Disha Ravi. We have to start to acknowledge that these things, that's, you guys, how are we not paying attention to as a global community? Like that, like these girls are getting abducted and molested and like by the government, like because they're, and they're still in custody. And they're, it's like crazy that why isn't Biden stepping in? Like this, Kamala Harris is half Indian. Like this is an easy thing. It's not a hard thing to do. It's not, it's not political at this point. Right. So, I mean, my, just, my ask is like, let's have more conversations. Let's have, let's, let's get more of the spiritual community to have conversations because this is a spiritual problem. At the end of the day, this is our shadow, right? When it comes to like food sovereignty, that's, that's our earth. That's our land. 
That's like, you, I mean, you got it. The farmers in India are fighting for what we already lost here in America. So we also got to make that connection, Jeff, that like we also have to like help our farmers here in America come together and be able to take care of each other and take care of the land because our land is, if our land is not fertile, it doesn't matter where you get. I mean, Jeff, you're in Hawaii, but not all of us are going to be able to get to Hawaii, right? So what are people going to do? <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, all these points that you bring up are salient. And I, I will say that, you know, the listenership of, of this particular program is, you know, uh, wellness and spiritual teachers and leaders and practitioners. Uh, and so I hope just that this information that, that you're providing uh, can tap into this di- diaspora so, you know, we can raise more awareness about what's happening in India, but as you say, how that, that then that translates into our own lives, um, you know, wherever we might live, because this, while this issue is being accentuated in India, this is representative of conversations and situations that are happening all over the world. Um, and like you say, if we're not going to pay attention to what's happening in rural America, for example, um, with a little bit of different geometry because we don't have as big of an agrarian community, but certainly with, you know, manufacturing, um, et cetera, you know, there is a risk. If we don't pay attention to it, then there is a risk that that that, that populace then becomes, you know, radicalized and we go down some very, very dangerous authoritarian paths as, as, as we've seen. So, you know, while this issue seems on some level to be local to India, it, it is uh, a reflection of something that's happening, you know, globally. And, you know, I'm very grateful personally that, that you brought the struggle of the of the Indian um, farmer protest to the front and center of my radar. And, you know, by extension, hopefully it's now on the radar of, of the 40 or 50,000 people that, that listen to each one of these episodes. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. And, and I'll add, you know, think globally, think globally, act locally. Right. And, you know, we, you and I have shared before how important local stuff is, but you know, we got to see the, you got to think globally too, that we are, we are a global community now. Right. So it's a beautiful opportunity. Also, it's a beautiful opportunity. Hey, guess what? You know, all the billionaires said, you know, when there's a crisis, take advantage of it. That's not just a billionaire situation. We all can take advantage of a crisis, okay? <laughs> like, it's not just the billionaires. So this is a wonderful opportunity for us to maybe come together with a cause that's not political. It's not Republican or Democrat. Like, is that, Jeff, is like farm, farming and land regeneration and land justice, is that a Republican or Democratic thing? Left or right? Not at all. In fact, I think one of the biggest optimistic glimmers of hope right now is in regenerative farming um, because there is increasing evidence that not only does it uh, obviously sequester carbon, but it actually produces more profitable farms and higher yields uh, over a period of time that is, is not as long as people think it is. And, uh, and the changing of the food system has everything to do with our personal health and chronic disease, which by extension has to do with the pharmaceutical industry and all these kinds of different things. So we're, how we grow our food is absolutely central to 
the health of the planet and the health of human beings. So, you know, uh, this issue hits home uh, in every way. So again, man, thank you. And, and to be continued because what, what's happening is very, very fluid. And so I, I hope we can, you know, revisit this conversation again. And should, I, should, I, should I send us out with some flute? Please bookend us properly. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my conversation with Indy Rishi Singh. If you want to learn more about the Indian farmers protest, I suggest you check out the outlet Vox, particularly their YouTube channel. They're doing a great job. There are also some excellent articles online at truthout.org and lpeproject.org. And you are always welcome to email me directly with thoughts and comments at jeffk at onecommune.com. I read every email. That's all from the commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.